welcome to the Empowering Agency Workers, a podcast for all temporary workers. If you're unsure of your rights, unsure how to find work, or just plain unsure, we're here to help. It's all too easy to be exploited, so your expert host, Julia Kermode, will empower you to succeed. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm really pleased to have with me Sam Dean from HMRC and we're talking about the corporate criminal offence of failing to prevent um, facilitation of tax evasion and that's quite a mouthful and just for listeners I've had to say that three times so far (laughs) so so I'm pleased pleased to get it out there and I'm really pleased to have Sam with me actually because um, I've been um, trying to get this interview scheduled for a little while and obviously um, busy diaries because he's a very busy man so Really warm welcome, Sam. You've been at HMRC um, for over 10 years and you currently lead on this um, area of, of work for them, don't you? Yeah, that's right. So just over just over 12 years I've, I've been in HMRC now, um, most of it in, in our fraud investigation service and, and our specialist investigation service before that. So, so lots of experience around um, offshore tax evasion then over the last few years focusing more on facilitation enablers of criminality and and therefore sort of CCO that came with it when it was introduced a few years ago. Okay great um, and um, the one of one of the main reasons why we wanted to talk to you is in relation to the recruitment sector so we'll we'll come on to onto that in, in a little bit but first of all what on earth is this corporate criminal offence and why was it brought in? Yeah, did you struggle with the full title the same as I do? <laughs> so uh, I, I, I sort of stick to calling it CCO. Um, so for those for those that are less familiar with, with CCO, it is the uh, corporate criminal offence of failing to prevent criminal facilitation of tax evasion. But ultimately what it means is that um, a corporate can be prosecuted for not doing what is reasonable and proportionate. Mm to prevent the criminal conduct of its employees or people who act on its behalf. Okay. And it was really brought in at a time when there was, uh, uh, and very much still is, uh, a drive for global tax transparency, about information yeah. sharing between jurisdictions and a bit of, bit of, I guess, public opinion, political opinion, expectation possibly, that, that organisations generally could and should do more to, to prevent criminal facilitation of of their employees or at least do more to limit the opportunity for it to occur um okay those those of you might have sort of heard me speak about it before um i tend to reiterate the point that you know, it's not been about trying to increase the number of corporate prosecutions but trying to behave trying to change some of that long-standing behavior some of those industry practices again all about trying to 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 limit the opportunity of facilitation to occur okay okay and i guess um the panama papers might have been one of those factors that influenced um influenced it coming about and i guess also that's affected public opinion about kind of tax um evasion and and that i don't know i've sort of noticed a bit of a change in the last 10 years or so in people's views on on tax evasion and it's it's not really socially acceptable not not that it ever has been but um but i think there has been a sea change yeah i think i think there has and 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 certainly not not specifically um at panama papers i think a lot of it ties okay. with the, the the tax transparency point that right. we now we now have far more um information data intelligence coming into to hmrc than than ever before 
mm. um, which makes it which makes it perhaps easier than it has been in the past to identify who those people are that might be facilitating it, um, yeah. and therefore a greater expectation that 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 we do more, that organisations do more, and it's it is that moral acceptability point, and you know we've we've seen we've seen how uh, you know the the pandemic and the reaction to COVID scheme fraud and all of the above. Mm. There's there's certainly more of a uh, a sea change I think in that sort of a public opinion about you know tax evasion is not a victimless crime um, yeah. whereas in the past sometimes I think it was often seen as one yeah no that's that's very true and so what are the repercussions for anyone found guilty of this corporate criminal offence so I guess ultimately ultimately a criminal conviction um, it's yeah. criminal legislation um, but of course uh, it's quite difficult to put a corporate body in prison um <laughs> yes. so instead, instead of uh, the usual sort of custodial sentence for for individual prosecutions um it's it's a court imposed financial penalty um mm. but there's no there's no cap on that so wow. potentially okay. unlimited fine uh, imposed by the courts um probably probably similarities in terms of sentencing guidelines with the bribery act um okay. i have no doubt the courts will take into a whole load of take a whole load of things into consideration in terms of you know well, at a scale of the tax evasion the underlying behavior the amount of cooperation from the corporate throughout the investigation mm. but ultimately it's a it's an uncapped financial penalty um yeah. and in addition to that i suppose so that's the corporate the corporate sanction the corporate criminal offense now as part of that and post-conviction we could look at um a whole variety of what we call sort of ancillary orders so okay. we could look if appropriate around director disqualification fit and proper evaluations in regulated sectors so there's a whole load of things that we could consider after a conviction if we felt it was appropriate but yeah it's a bit of a game changer in terms of the the the, prosec- the criminal prosecution and the corporate prosecution side of things yeah and um i think this legislation came in in 2019 uh, yeah, is that 19 or 17 tell me I, I... burns in my burns in my mind now it came in 30th 30th of september um, 2017 Gosh, and just okay. on that um, just on that so worth flagging it's not it's not retrospective right yeah so it, it, it applies going forward so it applies to, to tax evasion after that date facilitation of tax evasion after that date okay yeah no that's that's helpful I can't believe I, I got the wrong year I should have <laughs> I should have revised <laughs> before speaking to you I, I do remember it coming in um and and I'm very much looking forward to to it coming in because um uh, I suppose I'm one of the, the I have the same perception as a lot of others that HMRC have all this information why aren't they doing more more with it um and and i suppose um it's it, this is kind of the start of that process um and in terms of the recruitment sector which is yep. which which is where my interest lies um are there any um specific risks um relating to to that yeah and i think there's quite a lot going on at the minute in terms mm. of um uh the sector as as you know and and I'm sure can probably share some some of the links and information sort of alongside the podcast. But yes, definitely will. Yeah, we've published some guidance recently on um, raising awareness of mini umbrella company frauds. We've issued some guidance on um, how to spot whether you might be involved in a disguised remuneration tax avoidance scheme. And then mm. even even this week, um, published a, a call for evidence to understand the the extensive risks posed by 
um, umbrella companies more generally. Yeah. Um, the one thing that I would say um, on all of that, and I think I think it, it's not just in relation to this sector, but it's quite easy to think about HMRC legislation as being about tax, you know, tax legislation. Mm. Yeah. But this is very different. It's about conduct and it's about dishonesty. Okay. So it would be easy to to fall into fall into a trap of trying to identify, you know, the range of different possible instances that tax evasion could occur in a particular sector, or the range mm. of ways in which um, facilitation could occur in a sector. What's mm. really important is understanding the conduct and the behaviour of individuals within businesses and within a sector. And that's what CCO is about. It's about dishonesty. It's about tax evasion. It's about criminal facilitation. It's not about carelessness or negligence or yeah. tax avoidance. It's about dishonesty. And 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 that's why I think it's you know it's really important that um, end users of labour understand how their labour is being supplied and paid. Yes. It's really important that workers themselves understand how they're being paid their rights as an employee yeah. um, and any risks that they might be exposed to individually as a result of, of any of those arrangements in place. Um, yeah. And I think we probably, we probably have to all accept that tax is, is, is sometimes complicated and possibly yeah. more complicated than it needs to be. That's probably a different discussion for another <laughs> podcast. Um, yeah. But fraud isn't. Um, yes, you can have some some complex methodologies around fraud and tax evasion, but the principles mm. behind it are quite simple. Uh, it usually boils down to deceit or dishonesty, intent. Mm. So someone knows what they're doing, they know what they're doing is wrong, uh, and ultimately gain. So there's something at the end of it for it, whether it's an underpayment of tax on their part or whether it's receiving a benefit or, or relief that they're not entitled to, those sort of three component parts are quite simplistic um okay. so i guess bringing all that back to back to the corporate criminal offense you know um and by no means is this sort of like a an exclusive example but you know if you had if you had an end user of labor who is knowingly using a supplier that is undercutting legitimate labor supplies um mm. either by committing tax evasion themselves as in in some of the mini umbrella company fraud examples or artificially creating arrangements that, that on the surface might look like tax of tax avoidance but mm. are ultimately a sham that that end user is opening themselves up to an argument of facilitation have they facilitated that tax evasion in their supply chain by yeah. being complicit and therefore cco possible prosecution under the corporate criminal offense that's a really really useful example actually because um certainly i find that often the um the end users and clients who who have um workers working for them on a temporary basis they 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 don't deliberately turn a blind eye to what's going on but it, i don't think they stop to think what might be going on through the supply chain and i would really love for there to be um more more work work done so that they do take a, a greater responsibility and I suppose this um this piece of legislation will help help them hopefully realize that they've got that duty yeah it's certainly it's a bit more of a, a stick I guess in a carrot and stick scenario and there's <laughs> yeah. not necessarily just in in this sector but but more generally again you know the more the more guidance that HMRC 
issues, the more information we put out to say this is a risk you need to be aware of, the harder it is then to compile an argument of, well, I didn't really understand it, didn't understand it was a risk and didn't know what my obligations were. I think it's probably worth just touching on, um, you know, the interaction of, of sort of due diligence i guess and cco and and there's some subtle subtle differences in it i think insofar as you know as we said cco very much about deliberate and dishonest behavior so whilst i guess that you know a lack of um uh due diligence or negligence possibly Mm. um uh in relation to the supply chain may not in itself give rise to cco what it does do i think is uh, point to or give us an indication of perhaps the culture within an organisation or therefore, you know, is there an increased likelihood that that facilitation and dishonesty could occur within that, that organisation? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's almost the, the, the reverse insofar as if you have, if you have good due diligence processes and you are looking through your, your supply chains, that would be a really key part of demonstrating that a corporate has got reasonable preventative procedures in place which is is the defense against prosecution without them so if you haven't got that sort of due diligence processes Mm. i think it'd be quite hard to see how a company could mount that criminal defense okay so i guess you know whilst whilst not having good due diligence does not automatically make you guilty of cco we still need to evidence dishonesty it does mean that should we find evidence or suspicion of dishonesty, then that corporate isn't going to have a criminal defence. Okay. And there's a very sort of unique bit uh, with this legislation, which is subtly different, well, it's quite significantly different to other aspects of criminal legislation and prosecution. Um, with, with CCO, uh, what we call the reverse burden of proof applies. So okay. in most prosecutions, um, uh, the the burden is on the prosecutor to prove a defendant's guilt. Yeah. Um, with CCO, it's the other way around. So it is not for the prosecutor to prove that a company or a corporate didn't have reasonable preventative procedures in place. Mm. The burden is on the corporate to prove that they did. Okay. Okay. That's so massive, having, isn't it? It's massive change. It's a massive mm. change. So. You know, if you haven't got those due diligence procedures, you haven't got those reasonable preventative procedures in place, it's going to be quite difficult to stand possibly in front of a jury of 12 people trying to articulate what your defence is when you haven't yeah. got any of those things in place. Yeah. Um, so that that's probably for me the interaction between, you know, due diligence and CCO. It's not a, if you haven't got due diligence, you've committed CCO, but you're leaving yourself open to the fact that should we find dishonesty, you're probably not going to have much of a defence. Yeah, no, that's that that's a that's a huge point actually, and um, most of the um, sector specific communications coming out of HMRC are all about do your due diligence, and this is um, this is a lot um, a lot of it's targeted for recruitment agencies because they pay play a very key role in the supply of temporary workers um, because they're often between the client and the worker um, and then there might be umbrella companies as well involved in in the supply chain so so yeah I 
if I were HMRC, I would be expecting due diligence throughout. I would ideally, my personal preference would be for end clients um, and users of the the labour to be taking a lot more interest than they, than 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 I'm seeing currently. But also, um, I really do think recruitment firms need to know who who they're working with and their their suppliers because there there is a risk there and it's a known risk because we've we know about. Um, different um yeah. uh, schemes that are out there don't we yeah and i think i think you're right i think um you know that the, there might be a, a danger of almost thinking it's someone else's job to to do the to do the due diligence yeah. um and i think perhaps what what cco does although it's uh, obviously a, a it's criminal legislation it's a very big stick so to speak it's st- it's still there primarily as we said at the start it's not there so that we can prosecute more people it's really yeah. there to try and encourage people to do the right thing in terms of you know we're not asking people to put overly burdensome processes in place we're talking about what's reasonable and proportionate yeah. to prevent yeah. someone's criminal conduct you know and, and by doing that not only as a as a corporate are you sort of you know protecting yourself so to speak but just making the system an awful lot fairer for everybody else as well yeah exactly um and um, just on the subject of um, of bringing cases about, um, the, the, I have heard that there are some underway within the recruitment sector. Now, I'm sure, in fact, I know you won't be able to give me um, uh, details. That's that uh, no. would be ridiculous to ask you to. But um, but but can you give us any idea as to the types of investigation that's going on, and and just give us a flavour of what what does go on in relation to the CCO um, and and investigations. It's tough, as you say, to go to go into into too much detail mm. on 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 some of the live stuff. But but what we've tried to do is publish reasonably reasonably regular updates on our investigation activity on on gov.uk. Mm. Um, so currently. Uh, the latest update we've got 14 live CCO investigations we've got another 14 what we call um, opportunities so they are potential CCO cases where it looks like the ingredients might be there but we've got some more work to do to establish whether or not we're likely to have a CCO offence um, and and we sort of name checked uh, a few a few sectors in the last update so those those live investigations, those live opportunities uh, are across um, 10 different business sectors. So we've okay. got financial service in there, we've got construction in there, and we've got labour provision in there. Right. So probably yeah. as much as you're going to get out of me in terms of um, <laughs> uh, the details. But I think what's important to, to flag on that is that those numbers will naturally change and fluctuate quite mm. a lot. Mm. Um, so not all of those opportunities that I mentioned will result in live investigations yep. and not all of those live investigations will result in in CCO charges and prosecutions. That's just the very nature of how criminal investigation works. Yeah. But I think what it what it does show is, um, you know, uh, an increasing pipeline of of work there, of risk there across mm. a range of different sectors, which means that that. That, that corporates in those sectors and across all sectors, you know, need to be doing need to be doing what they should be in terms of risk assessments and preventative procedures. Yeah, and actually, um, 
the the figures that you talked about um i i'm i i do get those notifications through um gov um uk when they're published so i do always kind of pass them on through my networks and it struck me that that actually there are there are probably possibly three categories or that that could be relevant from from the investigations that are going on at the moment which is labor provision obviously for for recruitment sector potentially financial services potentially um construction um might be affected kind of um you know that my my networks potentially and I'm not asking for for any any further information I just think you know whatever category um it it's within actually the world of temporary work is so broad it could it could be across a across a few of them um so and I think I think it will all it will all come back to and I think um uh you know I always try and bring CCO back to 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 the dishonesty point if there are sectors Mm. where there are or where there is opportunity for tax evasion to happen be that individuals be that companies be that corporates and there are are opportunities in that for somebody to facilitate that then we've got we've got cco opportunities straight off the bat um and again equally you know the same way we talked a little bit before about you know you could spend an awful long time thinking about the different ways in which tax evasion could happen you could spend a lot of time thinking about the ways in which facilitation could happen it all comes back to the conduct point if we've got if we've got people in organizations or people in sectors acting dishonestly they know what they're doing is wrong and they're continuing mm. to do it because there's a financial gain for for them or their organization uh, and, and particularly where there's facilitation involved we've got we've got cco scope yeah. um uh, so it's certainly not something that that's going to go away anytime soon um but we're certainly seeing which is a positive sign and and that that some of those sort of cultural shifts that that we're looking for are happening we are seeing an awful lot of good things happen simply off off the back of having the cco legislation good. we are we are seeing you know new roles being created about anti-tax evasion anti anti-facilitation of tax evasion we are seeing lots of training going on in organizations across sectors um i've anecdotally i think i've talked about this before but anecdotally you know firms pulling out of mergers and acquisitions because they're not comfortable with what an organization has done in relation to cco and they don't want to buy the risk oh wow okay that's um, good and that's a real world impact so yes Mm. it's important that that we are enforcing the legislation and we're investigating offenses and and further down the line you know when we're we're charging and prosecuting the offenses Mm. But I wouldn't want to lose sight of all of the good things that have already happened uh, in terms of improving the climate. Um, yes. And that sort of wider tax system is certainly starting to see that. Yeah, that's really positive, actually, because um, I wasn't aware that 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 we are seeing change to to that level. And so it's really good that some um, that, that obviously a number of companies are taking it seriously. And I I think I'm right. And, and do feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, um, that the that the. Um, legislation means that the directors of a company will be held responsible even if they didn't know that it was going going on within within their company um, am I right on that or is that something I've kind of got carried away with <laughs> it's slightly different it's okay slightly go on tell us Sam <laughs> so, so uh, in the past if we were investigating 
um, facilitation of tax evasion. So say it's an employee in an organisation mm. and you can see that they're facilitating tax evasion. Um, so, you know, for, for, for the CCO funds, um, stage two, if you like, the facilitation stage of mm. corporate. Before this legislation came in, if we wanted to or were trying to rather hold the corporate to account for that. Yeah. We effectively would have to demonstrate that the directing mind and will of that organization, so say the director or someone on on the board of directors, that they knew that the facilitation was going on and ultimately they were complicit in the fraud. Yeah. Um, We would have to prove that to be able to hold the corporate to account. Okay, yes. Um, Now, depending on the circumstances and the sectors and the size of organization, that's often quite difficult. And yeah. particularly you get into larger organisations, relatively easy for board of directors to distance themselves from some conduct further down yeah. uh, the organisation. Yeah. What this legislation does, because it's what we call failure to prevent, we're not trying to hold the company to account for the act of facilitation. We're not saying that you as a corporate body knew about this facilitation and you were right. complicit what we're saying is you as a corporate failed to prevent it. You didn't do anything to prevent that okay. facilitation. Yeah. So it doesn't matter that you didn't know anything about it. It doesn't matter that at board of director level, you know, you weren't complicit. You didn't know anything about it. The fact of the matter is the corporate body has failed to prevent that okay. facilitation occurring. So yeah. there is something there about it doesn't matter that directors didn't know it was going on but it's still a corporate failing to prevent, yeah. not necessarily the, the, the directors. Um, I think yeah. that's where I mentioned before, you know, we could get into post-conviction um, if there were concerns about directors within an organisation. So say, for example, we can't demonstrate that they were complicit, they knew what was going on, but they 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 had had absolutely no intention of in, of doing anything sensible in terms of risk assessment, reasonable preventative procedures. They knew mm. about CCO, they knew about the risk exposure, but decided not to do it. You can then perhaps make an argument that their actions as a director put the corporate at risk, et cetera, et cetera, and yeah. these whole host of ancillary orders. But it's not the same as saying the act of facilitation took place, therefore, as a director, you're responsible for it. It's not quite that as straightforward as that okay no that that's really helpful um clarification actually because it it does it does put a broader responsibility on on the directors um and i guess the the way to for for company directors to navigate this is as you've said to have reasonable preventative measures in in place and i don't know if if you're able to kind of tell us a little bit what that might look like i think we've probably touched on it yeah already really um but but is there anything anything else yeah we can and, and um uh you might feel like there's going to possibly a whole load of links that you attach to perfect to we love links <laughs> but there is um there is there is fairly extensive government guidance that's published on what the six guiding principles between of what reasonable preventative procedures are okay great um so so people can certainly look through those I think the most the most important aspect of that, though, and I think I touched on it before, uh, you know, is a risk assessment. Yeah. So what what level of exposure does an organisation think that it's got to the legislation? Mm. Who does it 
who does it think its associated persons are? So perhaps going beyond employees yeah. who could be deemed to be acting on behalf of an organisation. Yeah. What opportunity might they have to facilitate tax evasion? What existing controls procedures might we have in place for things like, uh, you know, money laundering regulations, bribery and corruption obligations that might give a degree of or a starting point of building preventative procedures? Mm. So that's really the first thing, really, understanding level of exposure, understanding the risk. And then from that, you can say, well, what do we think is reasonable and proportionate to mitigate that? Yeah. and that's really what we're after. Yeah. So, so in terms of you know a firm, corporate looking to looking to do the right thing, looking to protect themselves, that all starts with with the risk assessment. Okay, that's that's actually really really helpful. And I would say um, my opinion um, is that any anybody within the recruitment sector, any organisation, whether that's a recruitment firm or an umbrella or 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 any anything in between, really should know about this stuff and should be doing their supply chain due diligence. And um, because those of us in in this in this sector that 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 are the professional bodies for the, for these organisations have been putting information out about this for for a number of years um and and so they're they're a bit foolish really if if they if they're kind of sitting on their laurels not not doing anything but uh, but yeah and, and there's there's a couple of things there as well Julia in terms of um uh the the if an organisation that, that's done nothing so far mm. decides today, right, we need to do something, let's start with our risk assessment and let's put in place some gold star reasonable preventative procedures, yeah. that's only that's only going to protect the organisation from today yeah. onwards. So, you know, we're, 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 well, four years on from the legislation yes. coming in now, yeah. that's quite a big window of risk where something could have happened. Yeah. So there's a couple of other things I think to signpost. One, I would never, never discourage anyone from doing a risk assessment. Everybody needs to do yeah. the risk assessment. And even those that that will have, might have done it first through the door when the legislation came through, the world has changed mm. significantly since mm. then, and and the way in which businesses operate. So another of the guiding principles is is around monitoring the review and making sure that you know if your risk has changed, your procedures need to change. Yeah. So that as a core, people should be doing. But if but if as a part of either you know doing a risk assessment for the first time or implementing procedures for the first time or even as part of that monitoring or review uh, a corporate finds something they find they they see that they might have facilitated tax evasion or they can see how that might have happened mm. or they've got a concern that the hmrc position is no different for cco as it is with any other area of tax okay. it's always better to bring that to hmrc's attention and work with us to sort it out rather than um you know sit on your hands and mm-hmm. and, and hope hmrc doesn't find out about it yeah. um it, and it would be remiss of me not to to signpost people to um uh the self the cco self-reporting uh portal in that instance okay yeah um, and what one of the things we say in the guidance, the the the, the I think it's sixty eight pages, um, <laughs> is around is around um, timely and accurate self reporting. What we say there is quite crucial. It says that um, timely and accurate self reporting can be taken as an indicator 
of reasonable preventative procedures. Mm. So if, if, if going through the process of, of, of implementing something or as part of monitoring you, you find something, can you tell us about it? That's going to be indicative of the kind of culture that we want within organisations. Yeah. And whilst it doesn't, you know, infer any sort of immunity from prosecution, it can go a long way to, to compiling that defence, which may mean it may not even get go down the prosecution route. So that's a really important point, yeah. I think, that if you find something, um, as an organisation, it's it's always better to come and talk to us about it, tell us about it, uh, than than hope we don't find out about it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And um, just on the subject of kind of um, potential cases, um, well, sometimes when I talk to firms about the CCO and and the the legislation that goes alongside it. Um, a criticism that, that sometimes comes up is, well, there haven't been any cases, you know, how do I know I really need to do it? You know, until I see something happen, I'm not yeah. actually going to do it. And it's it's just excuses. And in my opinion, yeah. it's laziness and nonsense. And I was just quite interested, you said earlier, the point of it isn't to bring about lots more cases. So so there's part of kind of an answer there. But but um, it, it anything yeah. else to kind of help when, when people say that sort of thing? I think it's... Uh, I and and unsurprisingly, you know, it's a it's a common question. Um, there's a couple of things on it. I think first mm. and foremost, that's quite a risky game to play. Yeah. So in the same way, we've just said, you know, if you in, if you implement gold standard preventative procedures today, that protects you going forward. Yeah. So let's say let's say we did prosecute their 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 competitor or someone in their same sector, and they go, oh right, okay, it does apply to us now. Then. Uh, we need to go and put some preventative procedures in place. They've got four years or from whenever they decide to put those procedures in place of risk where the same thing yeah. could have happened to them as it just did to their competitor and they would have absolutely no defence for it. Yes. Um, so as, as a question of risk, that is a, a dangerous game to play. But equally, and I think what's, what's, what's different about criminal legislation, I think, and the way this will work is... Um, what's reasonable for one business in one sector may not be reasonable for another so yeah. you know perhaps sometimes in some of our our, our our civil tax legislation or in tribunal disputes you might get you know a precedent that's set by a judge or a court so well actually this is what should happen in that instance or that's what the treatment would be mm. that's not the case in in in, in criminal law so you know, looking and waiting to see what happens to other people before deciding what you're going to do um, <laughs> is a very risky game. And I think uh, I would say as well, you know, that that it's not it's not an offence not to put reasonable preventative procedures in place. We're not going to prosecute people for choosing not to do anything. Mm. They have to realise that by doing so, they're making a conscious decision that they will not have a criminal defence if something happens and that's yeah. that's I guess a balance of risk that an organisation wants to take um yeah. it's a very very risky game to play um I mean my my, my own view and I'll, I'll be stronger than than you is that is that 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 um it's is just a nonsensical argument <laughs> it's just just my my view and I I don't know how how they how they kind of sleep at night because I do know some businesses that are engaging with other businesses that are undercutting their competitors because of dubious arrangements behind them and it goes there it goes to the very heart of, of why we needed the 
legislation in the yeah. first place um you know that that we want we want as far as possible to try and change some of those cultures those those industry practices yeah um uh, and that suggests obviously there's still a little bit of a little bit of work to do but equally yeah. um one of the interesting things within this you know is is if you know and and, and it's the same in, in any sort of instances of you know of, of tax fraud and we talk about tax evasion it is a small minority of bad people the vast yes. vast vast majority of people are perfectly compliant mm. i think you know I, i'll probably get the figures wrong but i think 95 percent of the tax that's dues collected um yes. we're talking about a very small very small in the grand scheme of things uh proportion of criminality even within that five percent that said you know if if a sector as a whole the vast majority of companies within a sector are doing the right things, mm. are putting those reasonable preventative procedures in place. Effectively, what you're doing is pushing the would-be tax evaders, a tax evaders, to a much smaller pool of people who might mm. be prepared to do what they need to do to commit the fraud, um, which then arguably makes it a little bit easier to identify who's providing those services and, and why. Yeah. Uh, so by not doing anything and taking that kind of attitude there's a there's an argument and a school of thought that that can inadvertently shine a bit of a spotlight for you on you in terms of where might some of the go-to places be for fraudsters and what that means from a compliance response so yeah it's a it's a risky game to sit back and wait for a whole for a whole host of different reasons um yeah no i sorry i was just gonna say i really appreciate that that kind of broader view actually because i i just get a bit um irritated and exasperated about it but actually you you you've just given another very sensible view as as to as to why people need to do take action. But on, and to be honest, it, you know, it's something I have to keep reminding myself of. Um, because you know, where I work, we work in the fraud investigation service, we see we see the worst of the worst. Um mm. and it's easy, it's easy to get into the mindset of um, you know, everybody's at it, everybody's non-compliant, because that's all you see <laughs> on a day-to-day basis. You see yeah. frauds, you see criminals, you see non-compliant individuals. But the more that I've been doing you know, over the past past couple of podcasts on webinars on some stuff that, that we've mm. been doing that, that that we've created with the, the professional services sector, our tax crime alliance. We're working far, far more with, you know, that honest majority of people. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know that the, the honest majority, the compliance service providers, they don't want these people in their sector. No, exactly. Um, mm. and, and and often we lose sight of that. So I think certainly doing doing far more well certainly in my area and i think across fis and hmrc more generally i think we're doing far more with you know the 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 compliant the compliant population to to work together to tackle sort of the tax crime the criminality the enablers because that's often the best way of doing it yeah no that's that's perfect and um my final point was going to be if someone has a concern about potential um uh, issues and facilitation of tax evasion what what should they do and i'll obviously put a link um to to um your reporting line your yeah. your reporting portal i can't remember what you said but it we definitely is, mentioned yeah, no, it i think it's got uh in true hrc fashion it's probably got a really catchy title um <laughs> I call, it, I call it the self-reporting portal. I think that's what it's called. I think ultimately, ultimately, that's where that's where um, I'd suggest people go. Yeah. 
fine well massive thank you so much for for your time today i really appreciate that and um yeah hopefully we can um keep in touch and um yeah keep um let us know if there's anything we can do to help get your messages out there that would be great perfect thanks very much thank you for listening to empowering agency workers hosted by julia kermode for more information on today's discussion please visit iwork.co.uk where you can also join our growing community. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and if you did, then we would love you to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. We'll be back at the same time next week.